0: It's thirty with Murdy, with your host Sweeney Murdy.
2: Welcome back, everyone. One of the fun things about doing this podcast is that I have occasionally gotten to speak to people in the entertainment industry who have a loose connection to baseball, and they've ranged from Ice Cube to Tabitha Soren. Back in 2015, I had the chance to meet actor Richard Schiff, known to many as Toby Ziegler on the West Wing. Richard is a huge Yankees fan. He was one of my first guests on this podcast in 2016. And it was through Richard I was able to connect with one of his West Wing co-stars, who has had some really cool baseball connections, actor and director Timothy Busfield. Timothy played White House reporter Danny Kincannon on the West Wing but you might also know Busfield as Poindexter from Revenge of the Nerds or Elliot from the late 80s drama 30-something. To fans of baseball and baseball movies, you know him as Kevin Costner's brother-in-law Mark in Field of Dreams or as Lou Collins in Little Big League. I recently had a chance to chat with Busfield about many things, baseball and acting. One of his boyhood heroes was Al Kaline from his hometown team, the Detroit Tigers, and it turns out one of Kaline's heroes is... Well, not Busfield, but his wife, Melissa Gilbert, from Little House on the Prairie fame. Busfield and I spoke about his experiences in Little Big League and Field of Dreams, about his recent directing projects on TV like This Is Us and Law & Order SVU. He's also cast in a new show called Almost Family, which premieres this fall on Fox. And listen closely for a great story about his first ever film credit. He is the soldier who launched the mortar that blew up Sergeant Hulka in stripes. I began with Busfield, though, with a baseball story about a chance encounter I had with him in an elevator at Old Yankee Stadium in the mid-1990s. Here is an awesome conversation with Timothy Busfield. So, Tim, I want to start with you by setting the scene where I we first met, but we didn't really meet. <laughs> and uh, we, you and I were in the same elevator at Yankee Stadium, and I remember this scene pretty vividly. It's probably 1995. Uh, it's at Old Yankee Stadium, And I'm coming up from the basement up to the press box level. It's me, it's Bobby Mercer, and it's you and it's a few other guys. And you're in a uniform. I think you had just played a celebrity game of some kind on the field. And what struck me is I recognize you as Timothy Busfield from many TV shows and movies that I've seen. And you are staring at Bobby Mercer. And I remember Bobby feels like people looking at him. He kind of turns around and you stick out your hand and say, Hi, big fan and shake his hand I'm going wow this is pretty surreal I mean you're a you're a guy that I recognize and here you are kind of starstruck awestruck and a little giddy at meeting Bobby Mercer how do you remember this scene playing out
0: well I remember first of all I remember the day, particularly because I think it's when I met Donald Trump. Oh, wow. Um, who looked right through me, uh, <laughs> shook my hand, and looked right past me. And I was like, okay, that's, that's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember we play was the Hollywood All Stars versus the New York All Stars. And it was a team I played on called the Hollywood All Stars. And we had, you know, Mark Harmon and Jonathan Silverman. And, you know, we had a really nice. Group of guys and we had played in Yankee Stadium that day, and I I do remember you know Bobby Mercer. I remember you know I could imitate his swing. He was a perfect wiffle ball swing uh, for me. You know, a big looping, swung too hard. You know, tried for the fences a lot. You know, kind of guy. But when growing up and you know being born in 1957, he was always exciting at the plate. He didn't leave at bats. You didn't see him walking away from at bats. Not having a clue what he wanted to do. I mean, he was out there to hit the ball hard, and and I loved ball players like that. I found them very exciting. So I remember meeting him, and I remember you know he's on my list of baseball players, and I'm I'm a goner for uh, a major league baseball player. So
2: I took that and thinking, wow, you must have grown up a Yankee fan, but you didn't, Lansing, Michigan. You grow up a Tigers fan. as you said, you're born in 57, so the 68 Tigers are right in your wheelhouse. You can, uh, starting lineup right off the top of your head, probably, right?
0: Uh, You know, it's pretty easy. You know, you got McLean or Lolich on the mound. You got freehand behind the plate. You got Norm Cash. You got uh, Dick McAuliffe at second. You got uh, Ray Euler or Don Wirt. I can't remember who his first up was. It was one of those guys. I think it was Euler. And then. Word at third and Willie Horton in left and, uh, Mickey Stanley or Jim Northrup in center, depending on, you know, right, right hand or left handed batter, what, what they wanted in the lineup. And then, uh, the Hall of Famer Al Kaline in right field and nobody really played except for Al, uh, was the lineup. We had, you know, Earl Wilson. We had a, you know, we had a strong bench. You had, you know, home run hitting pitcher. You had Lola who I think hit a home run in the World Series that year. Uh, Tigers came back from th- three games, three games down, three to one, and came back and won the World Series against St. Louis that year. Very exciting. My mom would take me to bat day every year and it would take a, a bunch of friends. That was my birthday present every year. And we'd go to Tiger Stadium and, you know, it just one of my greatest memories growing up a, a Tiger, an American League East fan, not a Yankee fan. Yeah uh uh just because they weren't that we were the American League East you know is I liked watching the Red Sox I knew all the players I knew all the Yankees I knew you know all the players from all the teams but you know I was I, I bled you know Tiger
2: now as you went on to play more of these Hollywood All-Star games later did you get to run across did you ever play at Tiger Stadium did you ever get to run across any of these guys that you grew up idolizing
0: no, not really. I, well, you later I grew up. I met, you know, later I, I did. It wasn't the softball playing necessarily. I got to know, you know, at the at the World Series, the first one at Comerica when we got in against the St. Louis uh, Cardinals again. I, I was invited to, you know, hang out before and met had a long conversation with Freehan and Kaline. And, wow. you know, I got to know guys over the years. There's still so many I want to meet. I want to meet Gibby. I want to meet Trammell. I want to meet, you know, guys from the later era. Uh, got to meet Willie Horton in the, in the clubhouse one time when I was visiting, uh, Tiger Stadium with my wife. You know, it's interesting. I'll tell you an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Al Kaline, who was my hero growing up, like so many, I was a huge fan. I think I might have said something in that conversation with him in Freehand because I saw Al again at the golf tournament out at Oakland Hills, uh, for the Illich. Foundation And I, you know, reached over and sort of touched him on the arm. And he looked at me like, like, you know, I, I had a disease just hated me. And I was like, what, what, what was, did I, wait a minute, that was my idol. And when your idol looks at you like they hate you, you're like, well, how could I possibly, I didn't know Al, Mr. Nice Guy. And so I went to a, 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 a Tiger game in America and I met him again and again. Uh, he didn't want to meet me. And uh, then I brought my wife to a, a Tiger game, uh, Melissa Gilbert, uh, and, and we were we were there. And, and the assistant general manager said, do you want to uh, uh, meet Al? And I said, no, I don't really I'm, okay. I'm okay. I don't need to meet Al. I really don't need to meet him. And I came around the corner, and, and he says to Al, Tim Busfield. And Al, he barely looks up. So dismissive, didn't want to. He goes, yeah, I know Tim. And looks at me, and i'm I'm about to say, I don't know what I did. Uh, but instead, I say, Al, oh, this is my wife, Melissa Gilbert. And uh, he you would have thought he'd seen a beetle. Uh, <laughs> he looked and just boom, and he jumped up from the desk and he hit his knee under the bottom of the desk. Oh, and then he kicked the trash can over coming around the desk <laughs> and just came over and just reached out and grabbed her hand and was just beaming and saying, Oh, my God, my family, we love you. We we grew up on you. I mean, of course, I didn't grow up on you, but my <laughs> kids. And he was fumbling like a little kid. And in the middle of it, he stops and looks at me with this sort of quizzical look like, How did you get that? <laughs> uh, how, how, how did that happen? And then, you know, he was like, maybe maybe we should play golf or, or something you really? could see that he was like okay i guess i had you misjudged so my wife actually mended the uh my my childhood hero uh hating me so and i think did, he might still hate me but he won't cop to it because i'm melissa gilbert's husband
2: did you ever figure out what it was you said or did
0: no, I just think he probably didn't like thirty something. You know, <laughs> he probably went on and He's like, you know, told his wife, you mean I read a guy didn't like him. no thirty something went Ah, oh, yeah, I was whining.
2: Oh Yuppies. man,
0: you know, that... baseball players are hard. You know, a lot of people don't realize that they can be really funny, or you know, they see them in the interviews and they're such team players. But you know, baseball is a is a hard sport, it's only really you know a hundred and some years old. It's not it's it's tough they're tough guys uh and you know they're not necessarily all the warmest people that that you'd want to meet they're nice guys often and it's that kind of sport but it's also you know these guys are tough and and they're not necessarily always you know smiling and demonstrative
2: you uh you tried to be one of those guys you played uh some college ball at east tennessee state before you turned to acting didn't you
0: well, I didn't actually play at East Tennessee State. That's where my, uh, that's where I decided, uh, you know, I, I grabbed my bag of stuff. I was there. I was with the team. And then I said, I, I separated a shoulder when I got run over playing, uh, high school ball in Michigan at third base and separated my shoulder. And it, every time I checked my swing severely, it would pop out. And I was checking my swing against Atlee Hammaker. I didn't know. Didn't know he was going to end up being a pitcher in an all-star game. And and he was throwing, like, gas. And I like, checked my swing on some breaking ball, and my shoulder popped out. And uh, I went to the coach, uh, you know, went to the got checked out, got the doctor, did the whole physical, and went in. And they said, we can redshirt you, but we're going to have to sit you down for a while. And I said, you know what? If that's college pitching, I'm good. <laughs> Where's the theater department? And the, <laughs> the baseball coach looked at me like... Al did, uh, said, you know, <laughs> all right, I think he might have even have said, I, I thought you was one of them, and I was like, okay, well, I won't comment on that, and I, yeah. he pointed me to the theater department, and uh, uh, I got I got a part that day, and my, my acting career began that day. I did play, you know, I was sent to Manatee Junior College by Danny Litwiler at Michigan State, you know, when uh, when I was out of high school, and and uh, didn't end up staying there. Went in the, the military for a couple of years, and uh, and then played semi-pro ball uh, wherever I settled in, including Sacramento. I played for a team called the Sacramento Smokies, hmm. uh, which was Buck Martinez's team when he played Fernando Vina. You know, it was really it was the college summer leagues. Uh, played against wow. the San Jose Fontanettis and uh, the San Francisco Seals and the Reno Stars and the Hollister Rays. We were all part of a that top flight uh u.s open level of college summer ball and they call that semi-pro and i was a starting pitcher for nine years and had a 30 and 12 record and struck out you know a couple hundred college kids and and uh got an offer to play with saskatchewan of the northern league at 35 which is probably a publicity stunt but (laughs) i got offered 500 a month to play with saskatchewan and uh that was, I think it was probably thirty five, thirty six. I think I had, I can't remember what movie it was coming up, but I couldn't do it. Oh, and wow. and uh, my wife at the time was, was not impressed with the money. So <laughs> yeah. Could could buy a pair of shoes for that, but I did get the call, and it was it was a, it was a, you know, a late, but it was a, it was quite an honor.
2: So probably shortly after that, based on the timeline, uh, you got to I. I feel like you probably got to live out a lot of fantasies doing Little Big League. You get to play, and that still runs on MLB Network, and it runs, uh, you know, every year, different times, and it's a fun movie to watch. And there's some some cameos of some really great baseball players in there. But what was it like getting to live out that part of the dream? You know, put on a real big league uniform. You play a guy named Lou Collins, who's the Wiley veteran on the team. Uh, what was that experience like for you?
0: Well, it was it was it was phenomenal for me for so many reasons because it was a you know it was a big feature film it was a columbia film it was castle rock i got to go back and spend you know they put the money into spending you know just sending me back to minneapolis and i had a locker with the twins for the last month of the season wow. and i would you know at all home games not the away games but i had a locker between pucket and winfield <laughs> wow and uh and i and Herbeck was teaching me how to play first and and uh uh, Dave Winfield's brother, uh, w- was working on me, working on my swing. I'm not a left-handed hitter. I had a good left-handed wiffle ball swing, and I sort of modeled my swing after Will Clark, uh, uh at the time, and, uh, am a right-handed hitter, uh, and a, a singles and, and doubles, you know, kind of hitter. I was never a power hitter growing up, but was always a number two or three hitter. Uh, and good at working the ball the other way. I was good at bunting. I was good at all that stuff. But I was not a home run hitter. But on the left side, because we play home run derby and wiffle ball, where you just kind of lob it up there and try to, I could get the trajectory. I could get the backspin, and I could, I had a nice swing, and I could imitate, you know, Mercer. I could imitate Reggie. I could imitate, you know, Yastrzemski. All my friends would ask me. I could imitate anybody in the major league their swing. And uh, Little Big League was Will Clark, and uh, it was a great experience. The cameos are what have made it great, and, and Junior was so great. And, he, you know, everybody kind of had a – Paul O'Neill mm-hmm. uh, came out. So many great players, uh, uh, you know, that were in the movie. Mickey Tettleton, we had Palmero, uh, we had Pudge, we had, you know, so many great, great players. Uh, Griffey, Randy Johnson – in the end of that movie, yep. I go up and I hit a ball the opposite way, yep. which is what they needed for Griffey to catch it because they got the big baggy out in right. And I hit a ball off Randy Johnson. So obviously, I didn't really hit a ball off Randy Johnson. <laughs> I couldn't touch it. <laughs> uh, and Randy Johnson goes out and he and he he looks at me and then he calls the director out. Uh, and I'm standing at home plate and I'm going, "What's that about?" And Andy Scheidman runs out there and he says, Andy, I don't I don't get it. I come to New York and Boggs and Mattingly are taking themselves out of the lineup. you right. <laughs> going to get a ball off me. <laughs> um, and, and it's true. And he threw and I could not. It was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I just couldn't. And from the left side, especially, I couldn't hit him. And I went out and I said, hey, do you have like four seams over, you know, the top, same place, same speed twice? in a row he said I don't know how to do that <laughs> so you know he'd throw 91 which was him taking a lot off it and then yeah. that would come up and in and then he would you know go away with something that was 92 or 94 and then try to come back with some 85 and I was like here <laughs> I, I, it was unhittable
2: uh, it's great like he's he's trying to get you out he's not he's not acting where he you have to he has to throw you something that you can hit he's uh, I mean, I think I've seen this play out with different guys. Uh, they can't take that side out of them. They're actually trying to beat you.
0: Yeah, I don't know if was, he couldn't do it. He said he couldn't do it, <laughs> and I said, "Can you? Be, is there any way?" You know, I mean, I throw batting practice. I want everybody to hit eight hundred, nine hundred. But then I'm throwing four seams over the top. I'm never doing anything, he doesn't have an angle to throw the ball from that doesn't create movement. Yeah. There's no way that that guy can throw a straight ball. It just doesn't come out of the chute that way. He's throwing three quarters at 100 miles an hour naturally, yeah. and he lets go of it, it seems like it's right at 35 feet. It's, it's he's, he's coming off the mound, which is 10 inches high already, and then he's like seven feet 10, and then his arm lets go of the ball. It's really already he could touch you. It feels <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's yeah. so far behind you. And from the left side, I mean, you really saw it in John Cruck and a great yes. backcrack out against him. But you saw it against lefties that that there's 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 uh, you know it's not a blind spot, but you really can't when a ball is coming at you from behind your head, uh, which was his you know genius, especially mm. with his his breaking ball. Um, you know, you just you want to bail, yeah. and and for an amateur baseball player like me, uh, to actually try to get the bet on a Hall of Famer like that, uh, not being a lefty, um, and I was and people were laughing. I mean, they didn't. <laughs> All the ballplayers in the dugout were laughing, and I, I'm like, you guys, the actors were sensitive, but the real ballplayers we had thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever see. Yeah, well, and you- I was, you know.
2: You and I both know that uh, that the manager these days would get eviscerated for letting a lefty hit against Randy Johnson in a big spot like that. So you're off the hook because it was more more his fault. You you had real ballplayers in your cast. You had Leon Durham, Kevin Elster, Brad Leslie. What was it like for those guys to uh, you know to be around those guys and kind of learn from them too?
0: well it was great you know it was great they were really leon was really great and and kevin had was coming off of you know rotator cuff he was coming he couldn't throw the ball you know he was one he was bouncing it across the infield he just didn't have an arm and he wasn't going to ruin it then he came back and played for the yankees yeah. uh mm-hmm. as as greer as Jeter was getting groomed yep uh and then went on to hit 24 home runs and 99 rbis for for texas uh, uh, yeah i think texas or the dodgers i'm not yep. sure. It, Hit three home runs when they opened the park in San Francisco. Yes. The opening day, hit three bombs. So Kevin Elster could still play ball. He was magical. I think they had a really good time. I think Kevin had a really good time. I think I think you know Bull Durham had a really good time. I think I think everybody had a you know uh, Brad Leslie was great and worked with me and he was really strong guy. We had a guy Scott Patterson who ended up on the Gilmore Girls who was a triple A. Yankees player. Yeah. Uh and it, you know he you know, he was one of the ball players and Scott Patterson and he was really great at helping me a lot, you know I went on and played for another I don't know what it was seven maybe seven years or so with the Sacramento Smokies including a, a championship that mm-hmm. I won for those guys and he really helped me uh with my um changeup and really being at the turning the ball over and being at the end and relaxed. Scott Patterson, who was a minor league pitcher, really helped me with that pitch being effective and, you know, to turn a ball over uh uh, you know, the, the screwball way that mm-hmm. people might think of it in baseball where you're, you know, your your hand goes counterclockwise yeah. on the release uh versus the clockwise motion of a of a breaking ball. You really have to be relaxed. And you have to have that happen at the very end of your extension, uh, and let it turn over if it wants to tumble and bite. And he really, really helped me with that. And, uh, it was an effective bitch for me and, in, in getting out a lot of, a lot of, you know, ex-pro ball players and college guys. It was, it was great. There was, all of it was great experience for me being around those baseball players and wanting to be a professional baseball player as a kid. I was a counselor at Mickey and Baseball School and, did oh, no, not good. necessarily yeah. play my best baseball in East Lansing, played good ball in Arkansas and and was a counselor at a baseball school in Missouri where I played really good ball. But you know, I, I did I just wasn't meant to be. I was yeah, I mean, I just wasn't meant to be a professional athlete.
2: So I got one more about Randy Johnson. How many swings, how many how long did it take for you to actually get that swing that we see on the finished product on the film?
0: Well, the swing I had, you know, it took about it actually took about fifteen swings, twenty swings, and he was like, "My arm's falling off." Before <laughs> I called Michael Papajohn, a former LSU player who's in the movie, uh, to come, you know, lob me something in the close-up. So, well, the ball that I hit in the movie is not the ball Randy Johnson threw. There is one that he threw where you see that I'm starting to go after it. Yeah, but then they cut around it. I did not. <laughs> get any ball that he threw me i don't know if i got a ball out of the infield i think i hit maybe one ball uh that he threw me the rest of them i was just i I couldn't hit him it was uh it was impossible especially from the left hand side of the plate not being a lefty i don't care how slow he threw it uh there was just too much on it (laughs) and there was too much movement on it and it was coming from such a tough spot so the swing you see in the movie that was the same swing I had when I played wiffle ball in, in high school and 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 I, I melded it with Will Clark and sort of Will Clark's eyes a little bit and his approach to the plate I wanted to grab, but that, what you see in the movie, is all movie magic. It's not me at
2: all. I can definitely see a little Will Clark in that follow-through that you uh, that you have during the course of the movie. Uh, what One of the things that kind of prompted me to try to find you and reach out to you was I was up late one night coming home after I came home from a game and I turned on the last like 20 minutes of Field of Dreams. And um, it's now 30 years since that movie. And I, you know, it's one of those movies I I have to sit and watch when it comes on. Um, You play Mark, uh, the brother-in-law of Kevin Costner in this movie. And as I, you know, I've seen it about 200 times now. So you try to find different things about it. And what stuck out to me is how important a character you are, because the important character in every fantasy movie is the non-believer. He's the guy that's practical and realistic, and you have to find that balance of being unlikable but not hated. And it's such an important role to play out the fantasy part of that movie. Did you like being that guy in that movie?
0: It was great. Now, Field of Dreams was a great script when that came to me and. And I didn't know, my agent did not say what part. Uh, they just sent me the script. And, you know, in the days, there was no emailing it, you know, back then. And mm-hmm. they sent me the the script, and I read it. And, uh, and you know, I still, I played baseball. So, and, you know, played with the Hollywood All-Stars, and, you know, was probably one of the better actor baseball players out there. So I thought, you know, do they want me to play the Kevin Kevin Costner role? And, you know, it's coming off a year of television. But when I read it, I knew that the part for me was Mark. I knew how to play that guy. I knew uh, and had a desire right away to help the audience. And you're right. In 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 those kinds of movies, those kind of fantasies, those kind of where there's a disbeliever and the audience needs to be firmly in the pocket of the leading uh, protagonist. Uh, which is Kevin Costner's character, they have to make that leap somehow into that world, that believability world. And and the bad guy often helps them make that leap. Uh, and I knew that was my job, was to help the audience sort of jump over me and, and into Kevin's pocket and, and definitely want to be there. Just if their desire was for me to be wrong, uh, it was, is the right Motivation and, and I love that part. I love playing that part in the movie. And as far as making it likable, I played a lot of not likable, kind of you would think characters or bad guys in things or, or been guys that did not great things. And then it's really important you add an element that makes you human. In 30 something, I was the husband that was, you know, not necessarily a great husband. But I would pick up those kids in every scene and and grab them and hold them. And I was a good dad. I made sure he was a good dad. And in Field of Dreams, I made sure that it was love, that I love my sister. And, you know, Phil put it in the dialogue, but, you know, that character isn't just a bad guy. He's a guy who loves his family and doesn't understand why they're losing everything because of this guy building a baseball field in the middle of rich farmland, you know, as he says, so love really helped that and and I wanted to play that guy. I love playing, you know, somebody who's pivotal to a story. I think, you know, as an actor, especially in a feature film, much more selective in the roles in feature films than I have been in television movies are, you know, are the least concerning. They open and close in the night series, you want to be cautious but a feature film, they live forever. Mm -hmm. And I I wanted to be a a part of it. Uh, the, The plot all the way to the end and, and I got a turn. It was great.
2: So very recently, Major League Baseball announced that they're going to play a game there next year. At, they're going to build a field adjacent to the Field of Dreams field. And they're going to build a whole you know whole thing around a Yankees and White Sox game next summer in Chicago. I'm pretty certain they are going to incorporate a number of people from the movie. And you know, my personal favorite idea is, and I've seen it once in person, I would love for James Earl Jones to recite the National Anthem. I saw him do that at a game at a Yankees-Rays game in St. Pete, and it was just... Is phenomenal, but um, have you had any thoughts or ideas around August 13th next year and trying to figure out where you're going to be and if you can be a part of it?
0: I, You know, the movie has gained a certain amount of publicity. I have had a certain amount of publicity in my life. I've got actually, like, my son-in-law, when are we going? Hmm. My best friends, when are we going? Uh, how are we going? I'm coming. So I have more requests uh, to go to that game than anything else in my life, uh, from, from the people are coming out of the woodwork. So, I will definitely, more than likely, be there. Even my wife said, "We're going right," nice. and my 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 son-in-law, "We're going right," and my best friend, "We're going right," and all kinds of friends out there. So, I will more than likely uh, be there. I'm sure that they'll invite some of us from the movie to come. Be a part of it. Uh, uh, and uh, maybe Kevin will play with his band there. We went back a few years ago. I think it was the 25th and played, you know, Costas was there and Kevin was there. I was there. Dwyer Brown was there. And we played a game uh, against, you know, each other, Kevin's team versus my team. Hmm. Uh, and we played in a, a, you know, on the field. People still go there all the time. It's, yeah. It's amazing.
2: Hey, so one of your more recognizable roles, and there are so many, I mean, if anybody wants to go visit your IMDb page, and if they don't remember certain roles, there's so many that come out in a career that started, uh, what, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Um, One of your more recognizable roles is Danny Kincannon on the West Wing. Um, and that's an important role too because you're a reporter but given the nature of you know the size of a cast you kind of have to portray the media as a as a whole what do you appreciate about that role and the lasting popularity of the west wing
0: well it's it's aaron sorkin uh you know really i mean it's a you know a lot of people have been able to play mozart since mozart wrote his his work and have been featured soloists and performers and in orchestras and actors and singers, uh, in Mozart's work. And Aaron, to me, is Mozart. He's just, um, he's just that sort of Hall of Fame, Babe Ruth level. Uh, he's just, to me, the best writer of, of, of all time to me, mm. uh, and the most accessible. And, and, um, that part, you know, you know, Aaron sort of needed. I think you know he, he's the better guy to talk to. Uh, but he, you know, he grew up a Yankee fan, or actually, oh. I think he's a Mets fan. I won't Grew up in Scarsdale up here, and 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 uh, you know that part being the you know uh, being the audience's sort of point of view of what they were doing in the White House is how I looked at it. You know, as somebody who had the point of view and no romance attached to. The job, no romance attached to the White House. He'd been there already for three administrations. Uh, he was an older writer. He was in his 40s and, and, you know, had been covering the White House for a long time. So his point of view on the way they were doing things was not, you know, amped up by the romantic, oh, my God, I'm working in the White House. It was <laughs> all very pragmatic, and I think that was a great element to have uh, in the show, and, and I got to really play into it, plus I got to work with Alice and Janney, yeah. and and be the love interest to Alice and Janney, which was, you know, she's one of our great actors, and uh, certainly, you know, one of the best actors I've ever worked with, and I've worked with some great ones, but, you know, throwing the ball around with her, and, and showing up at work, and we'd immediately smile when we saw each other, because we knew it would be a good day, because we had a, a good partner to throw the ball around with, and you know, we would work hard. We'd work hard on the dialogue and we'd work hard on, on you know, getting it right. And then we'd, you know, I think you could see it. And we ended up developing a really nice chemistry because we admired each other's work really well uh, and and were able to play off of each other. And I remember the last day of the very last scene we did in the last season, the second to last episode where we were featured heavily in it or I was featured heavily, she was always featured heavily. <laughs> <but> <laughs> as we were leaving and I was walking off to my trailer and she was walking off to her trailer. She pointed at me and she said, you're my favorite, you're my favorite actor to work with ever. And we, you know, and waved and smiled and, you know, I kind of teared up a little bit and that meant so much to me that she said that. And she probably says it to everybody, but <laughs> it was, it, it was that kind of, you know, that we weren't going to get to do that again. It was, was pretty, um, pretty special role with a pretty special actor
2: yeah and when we left you guys the the series finale uh you are you are married to the uh former white house chief of staff so in a world that brings back shows and reboots and things like that i would assume you have some role uh if it ever happens what's your feeling on whether or not that's actually going to take place
0: you know that again would be I don't know, it'd be up to John wells and aaron and and Warner Brothers. I mean, I'd be in or you can they didn't kill me, thank God uh, <laughs> I hope they would bring me back and that I'd have a chance to make that line up. you know that's a there were a lot of us by the time that seven years was out. I'd feel very fortunate if I could be a part of that show and and yeah, I really loved how they you know at the very towards the end, it was great because uh you know, I got to play both the, in that part, I got to play both sort of the, the husband and the wife. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to be this sort of traditional wife saying, okay, you're the, you're the, you're going to be the, even though my character was a Pulitzer Prize winning writer that Aaron had laid out. You are, I I can be Mr. C.J. Craig and I can do that, but you're, but you're going to have to talk to me. You're going to have to tell me what's going on in your life. You can't, just hang with the boys and keep me out of it. You're going to have to include me in, in your, in your problems, in your process. Um, and I thought the density of that, you know, and that was written by John and Deborah Kahn, really fantastic writer, Deborah Kahn. And um, just some really good scenes and, you know, tough to follow Aaron Sorkin, tough to follow the genius of Aaron Sorkin. It took him a couple of years on that show to really kind of to knock him off because Aaron was there only for the first four years. Mm-hmm. But I thought by the end they had it a little bit and uh, and were able to keep the show running.
2: There are two of your smaller roles that catch my attention for different reasons, and I'd like your thoughts on it. Um, Quiz Show was one of my all-time favorite movies. I feel like it's in. it came out the same year as Shawshank. I feel like they're in the same mold of a, a a perfect movies where there are no wasted scenes and no wasted dialogue, and again a remote control stopper for me when I see it. Uh, Robert Redford directed it. You have a very small role in it. What did you think about you know the experience of of you know having one of your all time greats Robert Redford work with you on a picture like that?
0: Well, it was I'd done sneakers with Redford mm-hmm. and and had spent a good deal of time with him. We had a lot of scenes together in that movie and. That was Phil Robinson, who directed Field of Dreams, and we did that in 91, 92. Uh, we shot that, and, and I'd help him set up his children's theater. I have a, a children's theater. I started in Sacramento after I'd finished Trapper John M.D., and Redford was obsessed with how to take professional actors to the schools, and so he brought in some guys from Sundance So I got to know Bob a little bit. And then I was in London doing a, a film for the BBC, and I got a call. Uh, saying he wants you in quiz show. Will you come do it? And it's a cameo movie. I mean, uh, there's so many guys, uh, uh, Scorsese, so many so many actors in that film. It's a huge roster of of cameos that are in uh, uh, Quiz show, which is really kind of cool, the, the industry people around uh, that game. Uh, you know it's great, you know. I took um, there was a Met player named Jeff McKnight. And Jeff's older brother, Jimmy McKnight, and Jeff's not with us anymore, and neither is his brother, Jim. But their dad, Jim McKnight, had played for the Cubs, and I played semi-pro ball for his dad when I was 16 in Arkansas. And then played ball with Jeff McKnight's brother, uh, uh, Jim, and Jeff grew up watching me, and I grew up in their house a bit when I lived in, in Arkansas in high school. And, uh, uh, Jeff I was with the Mets and so Jeff had come out I invited him to come to the set and Redford was excited I think that he got to meet some Met players wow. the director of photography was not excited that I brought three six foot <laughs> six foot two-inch athletes into that tidy apartment set uh, but it was great Redford was my hero growing up I got to do a play out at Paul Newman and join Woodward's theater and you know Newman and Redford were heroes of mine so you know it was fantastic to work with a hall of famer like uh like Robert Redford and um not only as an actor but to be directed by him and Ray Fiennes who you had not Schindler's just had not come out right uh and I had to sit next to him between him and Rob Morrow for a couple of days shooting the the poker scene and uh I couldn't tell whether Ray was brilliant or the worst actor I'd ever seen. I couldn't see him acting. He <laughs> right. and and sure enough, like all the great actors, was just doing as much as he needed to do, and turned out being, you know, he's one of my favorite actors of all time. But I was like, either this kid and Redford would come whisper to him and talk to him really soft, and Ray would kind of nod a little bit, and then Redford would go back to his chair, and he'd really kind of cautious. And I had no idea who he was. Sure enough, I saw Schindler's List, and then I saw a quiz show and said, "Okay, I was a foot in front of him, and I couldn't see wow. how brilliant he was."
2: One of my other favorites that I wanted to ask you about is what I believe is listed as your first ever movie screen credit, and it's in Stripes, and you play a wonder. You, there's a wonderful scene that you get to be a big part of. It's the scene where uh, you're the guy who fires the mortar that injures Sergeant Hulka. And you're in the scene with John Larroquette, and he says, "I don't care about coordinates. Fire the mortar." And um, and it's a terrific scene. It's a wonderful part of the movie. Uh, what do you remember about that experience?
0: Oh my God! Well, I was I was actually at Actors Theatre in Louisville, uh, and, and which at the time, the year before we, I was I went there out of college as an apprentice actor, and you know did the bathrooms and. Did whatever you know we needed to do. Built the sets, and then we got a couple of showcases. And then I was invited back. I was the first apprentice to be invited back into the resident company, uh, and uh, was a was working in a, a series of one acts that rotated in 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 nights with Chris Cooper and Kathy Bates. And uh, I went in. I saw that they were casting a movie, and I went in and said to the to the office, the casting office. I just crashed it and said, I'll read for a role, but I won't do extra work. I'm at Actors Theater Louisville. And they said, oh my goodness. And they had me read for one part, which I ended up not playing because I was doing the play. And then uh, I got cast in that. And then when I was unavailable because of the play, and we didn't have understudies, uh, they gave me the guy in the mortar range. and. Uh, I'd never done a movie. It was at Fort Knox, and I was a local hire, or I wouldn't have got to do it, and I could not believe that there was a five o'clock pickup, and John Larroquette was wide awake. <laughs> and I was like, how do you do that? And later found out, of course, it was the 80s. You might have had to <laughs> But went out there and, and did that scene in the mortar range, and right away, you could tell Ivan Reitman was like, you got to cut your hair. And, and first movie, I was like, well, I can't do the total military cut. I mean, I'll pull it back, but I'm in a play. You know, I didn't know. I'd never done a movie, and I was already... And he was like, fine, get the kid. Who is this kid? Go. So we're doing a scene. I'll tell you one story. We're doing the, the mortar scene. They shot all the coverage. The scene was about twice as long. It was a really good edit. They have in there really all you need. But it was a longer scene that kept going. That went on and on on the same sort of joke of me not getting it. But... They shot the coverage, all the coverage, and then they went wide to shoot all of the mortars going off as Larraquette grows on my character towards the camera, and uh, they put a charge. There wasn't enough smoke coming out of the end of we we're shooting off real blank mortars, right, and there wasn't enough smoke that came out. So the special effects guy built a powder flash on the other side, and uh, as we Larraquette gets to me, he set it off too soon. And my hand was right over it. And I I had my action was I shoot a mortar and then I go down and I mess with the base of the the you know, the launcher and then realigning it so that the coordinates really matter. I have to re plug in the coordinates or you're gonna do what happens, you're gonna blow somebody up, like Sergeant Olka. And when I went down to do it, my hand was black. And it was curling up in my hand. I could see that there was red where my knuckles would be the inside of my hand. And my hand was literally tightening up, jarred. And, and uh, I, I, I was stunned. And I see Ivan Reitman on the corner of my eye come out and go, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and so I got up to the top of the thing. And I said, cut, print, sign him out. And Reitman blows by. He didn't really see what happened, I don't think. And. Everybody blows right by me, and I'm standing there with a black hand, this wow. charred uh, from the powder. And the AD's like, "Well, we got to sign you out." And I said, "Well, look." And he goes, "What do you want me to do?" And I said, "I need to go to a hospital." And he said, "Well, I don't know where where a hospital is." And having been in the military, I said, "There's there's one here." So they said he, he said, "Do you want to change clothes first and wrap on?" I go, "No, I I kind of want to go right now." Uh, to and it's my first movie, and I you know didn't want to be a, a pain, but. So they take me over, and I'm, they sit me on a bench. It's dead quiet in the infirmary over there, the hospital, and the floors I remember being perfectly polished. And there were occasionally doctors' sounds that were in and out. And the doctor looks at me, goes, "Oh, that's at least a second degree burn. That's a bad burn. We're gonna..." And just as he is starting to tell me what they're gonna do, the sirens are going off, and all of a sudden the halls are filled with gurneys with guys with head wounds and chest wounds and leg wounds. And a guy rolls up in front of me and it looks like half his face is sort of hanging off and he smiles at me. And I look at him and I realize that it's a rubber, he has a rubber injury over his face, that it's a mock drill. Oh, wow. And that it's not even real. They're just, they've staged a mock drill to test the how the the, the, the hospital's going to do under a, an emergency. And the doctors just filled the hallway and they were probably... 50 people within 15 seconds in the hallway and what do you got? And I got a chest wound and what's this guy? And this guy's got a amp, you know, we got to take his leg off and they pointed at me and said, what do you got? And I said, second degree burn. And they said, you can wait. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I'm, I really, I really have a, I have to be, I'm real. And they got, they looked at me and said, what? And they said, I'm an actor in the movie. I need this taken care of. And they, they said, oh, look at this guy. He says he's an actor in a movie. And, about 25 minutes later, the nurse comes by was taking care of me, and it's all sweaty. And I said, my hand? And she was like, oh, my God, you're the real one. <laughs> oh, uh, no. and, and they wrapped me up, took care of me. And then we were shooting sneakers. Phil Robinson and I were at the commissary at, at Universal, and he waved over my shoulder at somebody. I said, who are you raving at? And he said, Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman. Oh, so wow. I said, can we go by that table? And I have not seen these guys you know, in what is now, I don't know, what is 13, 12, 13 years. And I go by the table and both of them drop their heads and look down uh, (laughs) and and, out of embarrassment. And, and they knew, and, you know, it had come back to me, even the governor's wife, Phyllis George Brown, I think was her name, wrote me and asked me if I was going to press charges. And I was like, of course I'm not going to press charges. I'd like a career. I'm not going to do that. It was (laughs) an accident. And they, They, I said, both you guys owe me auditions for your next movie and Reitman brought me in and I read for Dave and uh, Harold Ramis had me read for Groundhog Day. I didn't get either one, Yeah, but uh, I pushed the advantage. They were (laughs) mortified of what had happened. They thought, and Reitman said, I thought we'd never see you again, but I was impressed that you were such a good local actor, but Bill Murray apparently would let them know that hey, there's the guy whose hand we blew up <laughs> during thirty something. I heard that story.
2: That's fantastic. That's a great story. Uh, I'll have to, I'll watch that scene with uh, with more reverence this uh, next time I see it. <laughs> you're um you're doing a lot of directing now, and among two of your credits, I find really interesting. Uh, you've done some work on This Is Us and Law and Order SVU, and both of those. I've watched literally every episode of both of those shows. And one of the things that always brings me back is the quality of the child actors. It's, you know, they have to be so good because of the gravity of the stories. They can't just be, you know, sitcom child actors. Not, you know, I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I think you understand what I, you know, the point I make is that uh, for the quality of those stories, how good those child actors are, uh, what's been your experience on those shows and how excited are you? I know you have uh, some, uh, an SVU coming up in this upcoming season.
0: Well, they have, you know, they're great. Uh, Marishka had been on 30-something. It was one of her first jobs. And we got to know each other a little bit then. And then I, I uh, you know, uh, the original Law & Order was the show that bumped 30-something was across from us when we got canceled. Oh, wow. Uh, and Dick Wolf likes to rub it in my face, too, <laughs> uh, whenever he gets a chance. He likes to remind me that the... We were their first enemy, and and I quickly will tell him, and look what happened to us, and look what happened to you. But, uh, you know, uh, kid actors, working with kid actors, you know, you really, uh, it's difficult, because they're often, their process is not like adult actors. Uh, You know, they have school. They're not there for all the scenes. They don't hang out with us. They bring them in. They usually give them too much sugar. Uh, The kids (laughs) perform. And then the kids go back to school and their acting teachers and coaches are often going to end up being their parents um, who probably didn't act professionally. So, you know, uh, it's easy for young child actors to develop bad habits just because they're not around and learning from the professionals all the time. Uh, and you have to have a really good eye uh, to hire actors that don't have bad habits. Um and young actors, the kid actors who aren't going to, you know, say, I want to do this with my eyebrows now. Or I want to say the line like, hello, mom, where have you been? Hmm. You know, that kind of thing where parents will drive a line reading home rather than just listen and react and be yourself. Um, and, you know, that in Mariska, uh, she is you can feel her in every performance that's there. Uh, and she really dictates the, the importance of acting on SVU. And, of course, my, my buddy Ken Olin, executive producer of This Is Us, um, great with actors. Uh, just the whole group over there, all actor-driven. And those actors are the ones who end up often you know, dictating the child actor's performance. Uh, because they're the ones that are across from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would call it, you know, on 30 something, if we had, if I had scenes, uh, with Luke Rossi who played Ethan, uh, I would say I'll wrangle him hmm. and let the director sit back. And then I would go get performance cause I was right in front of him. And I would say, look at me, look down, look at me. I have trouble with that line. Think about that for a minute. I could give that advice to him without having to say cut have a director come in, uh, give a note to a kid, you know, it's much easier for us to turn to your head, lead to the left, turn to the right. That's where I say they don't have the same process we have. If you did that to an adult actor, they back up Mm. and they feel that it would be the wrong way to go. But with a kid actor, you know, we end up bringing them in for, you know, the stuff they have. And very seldom are we working with the child actor on our close-ups. By the time they get to, our close-ups. If there's a young actor in the scene, they're gone. They're either off the clock because they can't work full days like we can, mm-hmm. or they're in school. Um, so, so many performances that have had young actors across from adult actors, the child wasn't there. Mm-hmm. It was usually a, you know, maybe a, a, a you know, cigarette smoking little person.
2: Hmm. Yeah, here. Yeah, I'll be the I'll, I'll play your
0: shot. You know, a forty-five-year-old uh, little person is—you know—you were outside with, so, having a smoke a minute before.
2: So you've got, uh, and you've got an episode in the upcoming season, right? starts uh, Starts in a couple of weeks here.
0: I got a lot. Yeah, I got an SVU coming up. I got this really fun uh series called Almost Family. I was going to ask about that. Tim yeah. Hutton and Brittany Snow. I'm. I'm uh, um, Emily Osment's uh, dad and that and, and uh, I'm in uh, several episodes of that and I have uh, Dolly Parton Heartstrings for Netflix I directed one of those and I wrote one of those each one based off a song um, uh, and that's going to be out on Netflix in November and I got an SVU coming up I'm directing a Connors for my sister-in-law Sarah Gilbert oh,
2: yeah. which I'm
0: very excited about a multi-cam live audience show that I'm going off to do in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, busy. Lots going on. All
2: right, so last one from me. Um, if you had a dream project, somehow sports-related, um, what I'm, I'm thinking just in your background, all of a sudden it struck me, you know, no one's really done the Mark Fidrich story. Is there something in your past or interest level that, as a, as a sports project, is a dream of
0: yours? You, ju- you know, I was just thinking, as just before you said that, mm-hmm. I said, is he going to say the bird? Because that actually, I would love to tell that story. I can't play that role anymore.
2: Yeah, you could have before. uh,
0: I I think I'm a bit long in the tooth. (laughs) Uh, You would have to have some serious computer graphics to pull it off. But I love the story of of Mark the Bird Fidrich um, and that that Yankee team and his personality. Yeah. you know, I, I I would I would love to see somebody make it um, from a, a sports point of view. You know, there's I, I love a baseball movie. If you you know, last year I played, uh, I I picked the sport up again at 50. I herniated a disc, Ooh. and and playing in L.A. and then I I sort of gave all my stuff away. And then last year I said, you know, I'm feeling that desire, and I went to the the uh, a baseball facility here on 74th street in new york city the new york baseball center and and hooked up with my coach joe and and uh, uh and got my arm in shape and and went and played for the uh, long island um cubs uh and we won the the championship the men's over 45 league i ended up having a 7-0 record wow. with them over a couple seasons and then uh, hurt. I, I I tore my shoulder. Oh, what's it called? A capsule tear mm-hmm. in the in the sh- in the shoulder capsule. Uh, I tore and went to the the Yankee uh, doctor oh. and had an MRI. And he said they had a AAA player have the same MRI, and he didn't think he'd be able to play again. Uh, but up until then, I had dreams. Wait a minute. What about a guy who's sixty uh, who who you know finds a pitch and makes it back into baseball, you know, an update of the rookie with, uh, mm-hmm. up until that happened, I thought maybe I could, I'm in pretty good shape, and I'm throwing the ball in the upper 70s, and I'm, 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 I'm punching guys out, maybe I could win in games, maybe I could, maybe there's a fantasy story there, but then that went away when I had that. I don't think I could air a ball out anymore with the, with this, um, in this terror. Um, but that would have been the one I would have, you know, I toyed with that but the rest of it, I think, I'll, you know, I, I asked Jimmy Stewart to be in a baseball movie I had one time when I met him, and he said he'd probably leave it with the the ones that he'd made. And and I think, you know, leaving with Little Big League and Field of Dreams is probably wise and not try to follow those two movies with another baseball movie.
2: Uh, well, listen, um, thank you for all the time here and all your uh, recollections. I've uh, I kept you a lot longer than I uh, promised you. But uh, hopefully I will see you in Iowa next year, if not before that. And uh, good luck on all the projects this fall. Thanks for uh, talking some baseball with me.
0: Thanks, Sweeney. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Thank you.
2: My thanks to Timothy Busfield for sharing a lot more than 30 with me. Almost Family premieres this fall on Fox. I've been a fan of his since his days on Trapper John M.D. in the mid-'80s, and it was fun getting to talk about his long career, in which baseball has obviously had a part throughout. I hope you had as much fun listening to him as I did, and my thanks to Richard Schiff for introducing us and making it possible. Please check out the 30 with Murdy archive on radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, review, and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or...